0: It is time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Smith and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We really do appreciate you tuning into the show today. Hope you can stay with us for the next hour we'll be on. We Are Just Christians is a live call-in show, and so we're going to invite your calls, comments, questions, whatever's on your mind here in a few moments, and I'll give you the give you the contact information here shortly. My name is Mike Schmidt, as you just heard. I'm the preacher and one of the elders at the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. And our usual partner is Gary Jones. How are you doing, Gary?
1: Doing okay this morning, Mike.
0: Gary, Gary is the other elder here at the church. And so we bring this show to you to to uh, talk about the idea of being just a Christian, of just following the New Testament. So whenever we talk about a subject on this show, we're going to try to point you to various scriptures um, that you can understand and use to, to guide your thoughts in life. We believe the New Testament is a guide not only to the church as a group, but also to individuals. So that's how we're going to base the show. And that, do, that does not mean that you have to be a believer to participate in the show. Or that if you're not a believer we're gonna somehow treat you poorly or anything like that, that's not the case. But it helps. <laughs> helps what? <laughs> but it helps. <laughs> what what helps?
1: Yeah, you don't have to be a believer, but it helps.
0: Well it helps a lot of things. Yeah, not not right. to be a part of the show, but it but it helps So to, much for uh, my making for, jokes. For life, way. yes. I I got I sorry, it's me being dense. But uh yes, it it obviously is a benefit to be a believer, eternal benefit, or we wouldn't be doing this show at all. We'd be out doing something else this morning.
1: We're doing this show primarily because I think because of John 1248, and I'm going to quote this passage, and you're going to hear me quote it a lot, John chapter 12 and verse 48, "He who dre- rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day." Those are Jesus' words.
0: right. And so and that's the, that's the fundamental basis for what we do as Christians. And um, the reason... The reason we present New Testament Christianity is because there are a lot of forms of so-called Christianity out there. A lot of them are not based upon following just the Bible. They're based upon human customs and traditions. And in the end, they end up with a lot of bickering and squabbling over things that the Bible either doesn't say anything about or the Bible is clear about. But they're all taking their own pathway various ways. So we're trying to point people back to the place where we can all have unity as Christians, and that's in the words of the New Testament. So that's why we call this show, We Are Just Christians. We don't have any creed here. We don't have any guidebook. We don't have have traditions that we enforce as if they're the gospel. When they're not, we do believe in following exactly what God says as best we can, the simplest way. So we even take a simple reading of scripture. That's always the best reading, the one that you can plainly understand. Sometimes more explanation is needed, of course, with everything. But we, we believe in a literal understanding of the scriptures. And by literal, I do not mean literalistic in that uh, you don't take, if, if if the Bible is intending to uh, convey an abstract thought or a symbolic or metaphorical thought, then that's the way we take it. That's the literal interpretation. Uh, it's not literalistic. So we're going to try to understand what the, what the intent of the author is cross reference that with other uh, pieces of information from the scriptures come up with uh, an understanding that is accurate in what's being said so that's how we're going to present things we invite your participation agree or disagree we promise if you call we'll give you the last word on whatever subject being discussed you can reach us at 772 340 1590 772 340 1590 here is the number here in Port St. Lucie. You can call, really, from anywhere in the country. Just call that number during the show hour, 772-340-1590 at 9 o'clock Eastern to 10 o'clock Eastern. We'll be able to talk to you. Uh, If you'd like to uh, reach us by text message at at any time, not only during the show but afterwards, there's two numbers. One is mine, which is 772-260-6120-772. 2606120 and Gary Jones's number is seven seven two two six zero, six two two zero seven seven two two six zero, six two two zero. a lot of sixes twos and zeros in there but we appreciate you texting us like i say you can do that anytime we'll correspond with you and we'll try to take those texts on the air if we can talk about them uh, if it's at all possible sometimes we're juggling two or three things here and so uh, doesn't work too well, but we try to do that if we can. So we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your comments, agree or disagree. You don't have to agree. You don't have to pat us on the back or anything like that. We'd like to hear even, maybe even especially, your criticisms or things that you think we're failing at. We'd love to hear that. If you have suggestions for topics you'd like for us to talk about on the show, uh, we'd love to hear what those are because we're kind of picking subjects that. Um, we think people would be interested in. I sometimes like to pick out, probably notice, news stories, things going on, and then relate that back to what the scriptures say. Maybe I should do it the other way around, but I do it that way because sometimes these things are, I run across them, I know other people running across them. So that shows us that you can be a first century Christian in the 21st century. It's not just something that's unapplicable, irrelevant to today's time because it's found in the Bible. It's very relevant And the moral principles, the religious principles, the spiritual principles found in the Scriptures are timeless, and so we're going to try to apply those. So, in any event, that's the premise of the show, 772 340 Well, Gary, we've, I've got a whole stack of things here that we haven't got to in the last few months. Well,
1: I was going to ask, did we have any other questions uh text messages or text questions. No, I
0: didn't or? get any text messages this week uh, on anything that we need to discuss or anything like that. So, um, But a couple things did come. In fact, I'm going to talk about one of these intercha- exchanges I've had with somebody on a different forum this morning in the sermon about forgiveness. They wanted to know about this, do you have to literally forgive somebody 70 times 7 and so forth? Is that What's that mean? So I'm going to talk about that during the sermon this morning. We can talk about that now on the air. It's a huge subject, the subject of forgiveness. Uh, And, um, you know, sometimes you study things over many years, Gary, and you change your mind. You realize I'm I'm not either deleting things out or I'm not understanding this entirely properly. You can change your mind either altogether or you can emphasize different parts of it. Other things you... You look at over many years, many discussions, readings, and then you you become really more firm or more convinced in your position. That always scares me when that happens. (laughs) But it happens because I'm attributing some of that to my conceit. So I'm aware of that, you know. But on the other hand, sometimes it's just because I'm right most of the time, Gary. And I realize that now that I'm old. Anyway... uh, (laughs) <laughs> see, see what I'm talking about there? But the point is that sometimes you uh, become a little bit stronger. And I have to say, I'll throw this out. It was one I was going to talk about this morning on the show. But um, number one, those past, a lot of passages in the people say that Jesus commands that you forgive everybody for everything. That's just, you're commanded to forgive everybody for every and as soon as somebody wronged you, you're commanded to forgive them whether they repent or not, whether they ever apologize or make it right. You're just commanded to forgive them, and that's what Jesus demands of you. Um, I I don't believe that. Okay, I've I've come almost further than I was before about I I believe that less than I did before, and because I think for one number one the passages that they, that are usually cited for that like forgiving somebody 70 times 7, are not talking about forgiving somebody uh, who's done you wrong and refuses to repent. They're really speaking to a person's willingness to forgive. That's what they're speaking to. Uh, Now, I don't know whether it was a bigger problem in the first century in, in Hebrew culture than it is today or not, I got a feeling it's not was not a bigger problem, but apparently it was a problem in, in Bible times for people to be unwilling to forgive someone who has done them wrong. Now, I happen to think that's a bigger problem in our culture than we would recognize. But um, on the other hand, I'm not so sure people make much of an effort to make amends for the wrong that they've done and recognize the wrong that they've done and and truly repent of the wrong. You know, true repentance, Gary, is not common. It's it's kind of rare true repentance is. It's hard. It's it's um, it escapes most of it. Saying that you're sorry, giving a half-hearted, you know, movie star or, or a politician's apology for things. I'm sorry if anyone was offended by what I said. That is not repentance. For one thing well it's, and so it, therefore it's hard to say we should how we forgive people
1: Well we, we go back to we, we were taught in, as a child and, and I heard it many times uh, we were told as a child say you're sorry, okay, say you're sorry now everything's okay and we all go our go our way and yet we don't realize that just saying I'm sorry or even for one thing repenting, even true repentance does not change what was done.
0: It can't alter what's done. It can alter your condition before right. the person you sinned against, but it can't to, change we what's done.
1: Sometimes damage is done that can't be undone. Right.
0: Sometimes you can make a restitution, which you're required to do, I believe, and sometimes you can't. That's the problem with it. I, I believe parents try to teach their kids, say you're sorry, to teach ch- children that they can back away from what they've done. They can. They need to apologize. They need to realize they did wrong. And so even though it may be forced, they're trying to teach them that principle, and hopefully it works to some degree. Uh, But Often, uh, often
1: though, children do not pick up that principle, and if the parents are not more explicit in explaining it, uh, it it sometimes carries on and does Uh, more harm than good. I heard
0: this illustration. Oh, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No,
1: but basically, but there's another thing here that uh, goes with repentance that we often don't think much about, and and that, I think, is in Mark 11... Begins in verse 25. And Jesus says, Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, uh, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. And in many ways, our forgiveness from the Father depends upon our treatment. There's
0: the God. willingness to forgive. Does God forgive um, when people don't repent? The answer is no. Well,
1: and and oftentimes, I think sometimes people don't know that they've offended. And if you're not willing to go and talk to them, then what can Yeah, you the expect? Bible says
0: two things. It says if you're going to give your gift at the altar and realize you have something against your brother, go and be reconciled to your brother. Right. Then it says here in, in Matthew 18 that when we're going to come talk about that in the lesson this morning at the 11 o'clock hour, that if so, if you have something against someone else, you go to them alone. So in both cases, whether you've been hurt by someone or whether you've hurt someone, you're supposed to go and try to make it right. Because making it right is what makes the difference in there.
1: And sometimes, Not how
0: you feel about it, but right, making it right is what makes the difference.
1: And sometimes that's not recognized by either party uh, as something that they can do.
0: There's a lot of reasons why people hold on to grudges and why they don't forgive. But... but Now Uh Jesus in this passage about seventy times seven. Then we got a phone call. So, uh, but in this passage about seventy times seven. At the end of this, Jesus says, "So my heavenly Father." That's Matthew eighteen. I didn't even say that. In Matthew eighteen, and this is verse thirty-five. That's at the end of this passage, where he tells the story about the question asked about the seventy times seven time to forgiveness. So my heavenly Father also will do to you, if each one of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Well, now, even in the Sermon on the Mount, Father, forgive us our trespasses as, okay, we forgive. as we've forgiven others. Now, in this case, do you, does God expect you to, to forgive people their trespasses even when they have not repented? I think the answer to that is probably no. No. It does talk, but now we'll say, so, well, you can't hold this. It's bad bad for you to hold this grudge. Well, that's another subject. Holding grudges and being resentful is another subject than forgiveness. Forgiveness, Gary, and here's my point. Forgiveness is not just a feeling. See, that's where our modern age has confused this idea. Forgiveness is not how I feel about someone. It is, the word literally means to let go of it. I've let go of this about this person and I've went on my way about it. And so he says here that if you don't, from your heart, forgive each brother, he's talking about people that have repented here of what's wrong. And I know that from the story that he tells before this in this case. Well, anyway, we might have to come back to this subject. The only
1: other opposing point I would make is while, yes, Jesus is saying it may not necessitate your forgiveness, it doesn't prevent your forgiveness either.
0: No, but I, I will say this. Forgiving people who haven't repented is not always good. Sometimes it's very harsh. I mean, it's very harmful. If you forgive someone who keeps sinning against you and others, you keep perpetuating that behavior. You are not doing, you're not doing, your whoever it may be, friend or enemy, any favors well, there, there could be, by not demanding their repentance, not there, holding there, them accountable. There, there
1: could be other circumstances here that were... The, and one you, of the things that is... That people
0: need to be held accountable when they do wrong, Gary, and, you, and that uh, may not, you may not be the final judge of that. But I'm if you saying, don't hold them accountable... Yeah,
1: what I'm saying, Mike, and, and listen for a moment, what I'm saying is they may not understand, they may not know, there may be ignorance involved in this that you may not be able to correct.
0: And you should yes. make an effort to correct it. Is my point.
1: And it may not be possible. Not,
0: it may not be possible. That's cur- that's, cur- that's true. Whoops! What Hang on. That? I guess we didn't. We we lost the. Must have been off the air for a minute. Sorry about that. We did not know that we were off the air. We apologize, and I really don't have any idea uh, where we cut off. But if you, you you probably missed me and Gary disagreeing as much as we disagree usually <laughs> about something here. So we probably won't go back over all of that. But we. Uh, we're talking about forgiveness and uh, and repentance, and whether you have to, whether you're under obligation to forgive people that have never repented. And I I don't know that you are. I think that what you have to do, what Jesus demands, is that you try to get to, gain, as he says, gain your brother back by seeking seeking their repentance for the thing that they've done against you. And when you can't, then he says you treat them as a Gentile and a publican now the other the, we can discuss what that might mean but it means something okay but the idea that forgiveness just means we should go around and people do all manner of wicked things against us and our loved ones or other people and we just oh well that's sorry i'm I'm I hate that you feel like that and I forgive you and you go on about pat him on the head and go on this is a very poor way. For society to develop, it's a very poor way for Christians to act, in my opinion.
1: Well, it's. Plain- Are there
0: times when you can't bring about repentance and you need to let go of that anger? It's yes, play- it's
1: playing out in our society today in the justice system, where we just want to let everything go, and that that does not. No, work. No, it
0: doesn't work, and it's not. It's the truth is, it's unloving. It is unloving when someone sins against me and does something that's wrong that could bring them into judgment. And I simply ignore it and go on my way and pat them on the head and say, well, uh, I guess you didn't mean that. Well, they did mean it maybe. Maybe they do need to change. And and when I just pat them on the head and send them on their way and so so I can feel better about it. It's all about the feelings again. So I can feel better about it. I've done no one any favors. Now, are there times when things can't be rectified in this world? People refuse to repent. Well, then, that may be. I'm just not going to hold a grudge against them. I'm going to let it go. That's what forgiveness means, is to let go of something. And I'm going to let that go. I'm not going to hold the grudge. But I I don't know if that's the same thing as forgiving. Yeah, Forget, then, uh, yeah, and what that's I'm not saying, the same thing as forgiving. What I'm
1: forgiving. saying is there are there, not everything is under the same circumstance. And while, right. Yes, God want you to forgive someone who has repented and is commanding you to give someone, it doesn't keep you from forgiving them without that.
0: No, but it doesn't keep you from doing it. But sometimes it's certainly, I don't think as a general principle, it's the right way to go. Because the fact is what God demands of me is not just to forgive people so I can feel better. He demands that I seek their repentance. He commands me to go to them and to seek their repentance. That's what's not done in churches. That's what's not done in, on a personal level. And the other side of the coin is I don't need to be holding things against people that aren't actually sins. That's the other thing. We get mad at people and demand forgiveness for things that they've done against us that are maybe a slight or an error or simply a, an, uh, something they've done that we aren't pleased with. And so we demand this to be repented of as if it is a uh, some kind of a,
1: just, just, Sin. Re- just reminding that basically, this idea of forgiveness is not the only thing in which God deals with us as we de- as we deal with others.
0: Right, exactly. So I need to be willing to forgive. That's the idea, and and um, I I don't have any evidence. If we're supposed to do it as God does, I don't have any evidence that God forgives unless there's been some kind of repentance. Will He keep urging me to repent? keep doing things. Yes. Well, we've got a phone call. I guess we better get to Gary. We can come back to this. Uh, uh, Jerry, are you there on the line? I appreciate it, Jerry. Uh, I hope I can uh, I wrote down a few of the things you were asking about. Perhaps we can talk about them. First of all, uh, the Bible was written in several languages originally. Generally speaking, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. There are parts of it that are um, uh, other languages, Aramaic and stuff, not too many. And then before Christ came the Old Testament was translated from Hebrew into Latin and that's the Vulgate version, and, or excuse the Septuagint.
1: Septuagint the Sorry, I version. said
0: Vulgate, the, the Septuagint version the of it. Version. The 70 Greek scholars translated, translated into Hebrew and then, uh, I got it wrong. The Hebrew was translated into Greek. And then Jerome later translated everything into Latin. That's the Vulgate translation. So although the original Old Testament was was written in Hebrew, it's obvious that God intended for it to be translated because Jesus himself, when he was on the earth, used the Septuagint translation. He quoted from Aramaic translations as well as the Greek translation himself. So, translating the translating the Hebrew language is not a problem. Translating the Greek into other languages not a problem. God intended that to be. Now, I know some of the um, conservative Jews believe that God speaks Hebrew. Did you know that, Gary, that God speaks Hebrew? I didn't know that. I didn't but God, know that. He speaks all the languages, actually. But God, they, I, they I, believe that that's the language of God, and that's what was spoken in the Garden of Eden is Hebrew. I always thought he and had a British accent. Did <laughs> you? Yeah. yeah. Um, There's a Babylon B article this week about how some people are upset after the, after the Tower of Babel. A lot of people are upset because they didn't get that cool British accent. Except, they got right. some other accent. Anyway, uh, but uh, like a New York accent or something. But, but in any event... Yes, I don't. I don't think. I, number one, translation is fine. Secondly, I don't think that the uh, Hebrew is anything in particular different. Although you have to understand Hebrew to be able to translate it, and sometimes you miss something. The difference between Hebrew and some other language you mentioned the long, Jerry. You mentioned the long and short vowels and other diacritical marks. Hebrew is a spoken language, basically. The writing of Hebrew apparently was not developed as such, as much, and so there aren't really any vowels in Hebrew as it's written. Usually, there are, the vowels are implied; only the consonants are written, and the consonants can change. So, it's a complex language. Got to learn a whole different alphabet way of looking at things, but that makes sometimes for difficulties in translation because. You have to substitute the vowels in a word. Now, most time, that's very simple to do. But occasionally, you wouldn't know whether it's gun or gin, you know, because you substitute a vowel in there. And so, you'd have to look and say, what's the context say there? What does it mean in context? And it's easy to figure. Occasionally, it's not as easy to figure out. And then, then the New Testament was written in Koine Greek for the most part. There are a couple verses here and there quoting from Aramaic. And things like that. But the New Testament was written in Greek. It used to be, up until the last couple of centuries, that scholars and other people thought that the New Testament was written in some kind of what they called Holy Spirit Greek. Because it was so different than Homer and uh, the classical Greek. Not entirely different, because you could still read it, but the vocabulary and grammar was different, used different words. What we found out was, in the last century or two, that the New Testament is actually—and this, this is a very important point, so listen to what I'm saying here about this, that the New Testament was written in what's called Koine Greek, or ordinary, common. common. The word Koine means common Greek. It was the ordinary Greek that was spoken by the people, not written down by scholars or writers like Homer or Aristotle or Socrates or somebody— it was common. That tells me very clearly that the New Testament was written not for the clergy to understand or some special group of educated scholars to understand, but the New Testament was written down for ordinary people of that day and the and the centuries following to understand. And so once they found that out, that opened up a whole new understanding of these words and how they would be used. And that's pretty obviously accepted now. The New Testament is written in Greek, not some special kind of Holy Spirit Greek. So that's what's been... Now then, from there, the New Testament immediately began to be translated into every kind of language you can think of. We have thousands, literally, of different translations, manuscripts in different languages that we can cross-reference with each other to see closer to what, even if we have a doubt about the original, what it said, because we can read all these other variants in different languages to cross-reference that. So it's been put into all these languages. So can you read it in English? Yes. Might you miss some things? possible, but you have enough of, there's a way, if you are diligent, there's a way to find out from what it means, at least get the words, and then you have to understand what the words mean, and you can, it comes into our language. In the
1: the context, and basically then there's comparison of one scripture to another where the same word is used, and those can be helpful from time to time.
0: Over where the um, Lord's Prayer was supposedly spoken by Jesus in in Israel, Gary, I probably told this story before, but there that place where they—I have no idea if that's the correct place—could be, but there are all of these pillars set up, flat pillars. All I think that there's at least 175 hundred and seventy-five different plaques put up either into the walls or in the buildings that are there or on the grounds
1: different languages
0: and of all of the lord's prayer and all, all these different languages for all the way from cherokee to different south american indian languages to korean different kinds of dialects from chinese all the way to english to ethiopian uh, creole i took pictures of those and, and all of these 100 at least 175 someone said i didn't count them uh that's all been translated into those languages because the gospel was the gospel was written for all men for all time. Now then,
1: there's a New Testament passage that kind of points to that too. That I'd like to take the time to read. First 1 Peter one, verse twelve, and it says, "To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us." they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy spirit sent from heaven things, which angels desired to look. Basically he's saying writing to the common person, these things were to go to you and to understand.
0: Yes. And, All right. Well, we got a phone call. So if you'll hang on a second there, uh, let me just make one more comment about this. Uh, Jerry referred to the gendering of these languages. And it is true that um, Hebrew and Greek, especially the Greek and Latin, are gendered languages. In other words, they have three genders. There's masculine, feminine, and and, uh, neuter um, in in, uh, Latin, also in Greek. Now, what that, that doesn't mean that the objects that they're discussing are necessarily male or female. Sometimes it's just random chance. For example, ships in Greek, generally those were considered feminine, and that's kind of carried through to our culture. Ships are not female. Uh, and yet, you have a consistent usage of this word God with, and Jesus as being masculine. And I think there's probably more to that for various reasons. So, yes... There are these uh, now. English is not like that. English is not, as we might call it, an inflected language, and a lot of other languages are not. But you can you, you translate these words like "ecclesia," the word for church. "Ecclesia" with the "a" ending on the word makes it a feminine word. Doesn't mean that the object being discussed is female necessarily. And I can give you some other examples in the translations where it doesn't mean it's female. It's just, ref- it's just the way that they spoke it at that time.
1: But then again, there's the allusion in Scripture to Jesus as the bridegroom and the church well, as the bridegroom. Well, there's bride. a lot of
0: other reasons to put, attach Jesus. the masculine to Jesus and to God. A lot of other reasons to do that besides the inflection of the Greek or the Hebrew. All right, well, we have another phone call. Are you there, Laura? You you want to get talk about something divisive? We can just leave the Bible behind and talk about speed limits on the drive, and then you get into real really bad territory. Or
1: speed limits anywhere? And speed <laughs> limits
0: anywhere? Well, go ahead, Laura. Uh-huh. I think that's that's exactly right. Now I'll go. I want to. I uh, I think that is good advice to live by, and we should look at that. And so some people don't know what they're doing, so we can forgive them. But then there are some things that are done that need to be confronted. Now, let me ask you this, though, Laura. Jesus prayed that there on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, that's the attitude of willingness to forgive. Jesus was willing to forgive. Now, the question is, did God forgive them because Jesus prayed that? The answer to that, I believe, is no. God did not grant forgiveness to those people just because Jesus prayed that. So you have there a reflection of Jesus' attitude of a willingness to forgive even those who were killing him with the fact that later on, Peter tells those same people, you're guilty of crucifying Christ. You need to repent and be baptized because you're still in your sins. And you'll have your sins forgiven when you repent and are baptized. So there's the two sides of this. What do you think about that? Well, that's you. That's you letting go of it, or that's you being willing to uh, to pass it all off. But you're, you're right. That doesn't mean that they have been forgiven by God. And there's two separate kinds of forgiveness. Some, hmm, that's right. Now, suppose suppose someone has stolen a lot of money from you in your business, and you, I'm not sure how you process that. It's, it's hard to say they did it out of ignorance, but they stole money. And then you say, well, I'm going to forgive you. They never ask for being sorry. They never say they're sorry. Two scenarios. One, they don't say they're sorry, and you forgive them. Do you still trust them with the cash register and continue your life as you were before? Or suppose they do say they're sorry. You put them back in charge of your bank accounts uh, after you've forgiven them. You see what I'm saying? Now, the, The practical matter is that's where repentance comes in. Once you see that someone has actually repented and turned away from that behavior, it becomes much easier to restore the relationship to what it once was. Without that, you know, uh, and you see this in marriage problems. I mean, it's one thing to say a person's sorry for having an affair, quite another to say, well, everything's back exactly like it was just because you said you're sorry, and you could forgive and let go of some of the hurt, that still doesn't mean that the relationship's been restored. These are the these are the practical problems that come about. So I think Jesus is a lot of times talking about a willingness to forgive on my part, not holding a grudge, not not being vindictive, taking vengeance, which is part of this whole problem. But being like God and seeking that like you're doing, you're seeking that person's welfare by praying for them.
1: And, and 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 what we have to face the fact is that even though those people may have gone their own way and never turned around, God sought their knowledge. In other words, He gave them through the Holy Spirit the written word of God to turn away.
0: Right. I'll, I'll give you another illustration that comes to mind, Laurel. You might you might can identify with this too, or think you, you you're um previous calls, I think you're a religious person. So here you have all these scandals in the last 20 years, it's been going on a lot longer than that, of all these religious leaders and pastors and priests who have committed these sexual sins against people in a church. And I think what makes people really, really mad about that, one of the things is, is that so often, not only did somebody fail and commit a sexual sin in a position of trust as a priest or a pastor or something. but the church then with on the basis of some sometimes a flimsy apology or no no repentance puts them back into a position of trust and they continue the sinning. This is this is the this is one of the results of I, I would call it the cheap cheap forgiveness that's one of the results of it, that it can be a result. Because we're not demanding that something actually change uh, before we restore a person to a position of trust. I, I'm pretty much of the opinion, although I can't say I 100% agree with this, that a person like myself as an elder and a preacher who goes out and has an affair or is guilty of some sexual sin, I, I would... I would warn people about putting me back into a, a person like that in a position of authority in a church of spiritual trust. What do you think about that? Even if I did repent, I'd have to think about that. I, I, even if a person did repent, I'm acting like I'm guilty. I'm, I'm using myself for an example. This is what John said, John the Baptist said, bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. You say you repent, now bring forth the fruit. It takes time for that to happen, and that's why I don't think you can take that phrase "forgive somebody seventy times seven in one day" or even seven times in one day. I don't know if true repentance is possible in one day, much less seven times, much less four hundred and ninety times. I think he's talking about your willingness to forgive should extend that far. Your desire to seek the the person's repentance should seek seek go that far. As far as actuality in real life, I don't think that's what he's talking about. I could be wrong, but that's where I'm at today.
1: Well, this goes further than repentance, Mike, and as far as as I'm concerned, it also goes to faith. Jesus expects to see our faith. He does not expect us just to profess faith.
0: Right. And all you can do when, when you're caught in a sin, you've been caught in some terrible sin, all you can do is profess your sorrow. You can't do right. it. It takes time to do something what, what, about that. What
1: did David say when he was caught and confronted? He says, I have sinned.
0: And so you can't expect more from someone than they can give at that particular time, but you can't expect that.
1: So now, basically, I think there's there's much to be said for what God sees. I think this is the point that Jesus is making in John 3, uh, in verse 5. He says, Most surely I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it is, comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. You don't know about that birth until you see it.
0: Right, right, and, and, and it takes time to see that.
1: And it takes time to see that. He, he said about the paralytic when they let them down, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and walk. And, now, and basically, James 2, Mike, essentially says the same thing. Show me your faith by your works, or show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works.
0: Right. Now, Laura, you said that you're uh, in the criminal justice system in a, in this sense, that you're in there. Do you think that puts you in a better position your past to assess whether Someone's actually made a change or if they're on the road to making a change. Can you use that bad experience of yours actually as a help and a guide with others? Yeah, I think probably that's in some things that can happen that we can do in life or uh, let's say we waste many years in drug addiction or something. Sometimes the only thing that makes people in the long run feel better and do better is when they begin to be able, because they've changed, to do good with the harm that they cause to others. They begin to be able to do good by helping other people overcome this. I've seen this before, and it, it's a good thing to see. But, uh, and that that can be the situation. That, that, so, I'm not saying by this, you know, be uh, unforgiving and hard on people. I'm saying... Demand that they change so that something can actually get better, you be willing to help them and give them every chance. Like you take this, uh, in this story Jesus tells in Matthew 18, he tells the story of the man who owed $100 million, couldn't pay it. The master forgave him when he begged him to forgive him, and he even released him from the debt and forgave him the debt, didn't even ask him to pay it back in this case. But then the, he went out and grabbed another servant and owed him about seventy. it says, I think if you translate it, and he grabbed him by the throat and said, pay me what you owe me. And the fellow servant fell down and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. But he would not and he threw him into prison. Now, Jesus condemns that man. He could have said, when the man begged him and said, have patience and I'll pay you all, he could have said, okay. I expect you to pay me, which was correct, which was right to do, okay?
1: Well, that's the long form. But he wouldn't do it. That's the long form of Matthew basically 18 and verse 35. So my heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Basically, yes. it's the same. It's the, That's the short version of that. Uh, and he, he's basically saying, you know, unless you forgive those who trespass against you, your heavenly father is not going to forgive you. This is the same, you know, he says another, by whatever measure you use, it's going to be measured back to you again. Right. This, right. This is the show. So
0: again, he's talking about being willing to forgive, to extending forgiveness and grace and giving people a chance. He's not talking about just walking around as soon as somebody says, I'm sorry, or even if they don't do anything, He's saying, well, I forgive them, you know, um, they need to be people need to be held accountable. I can't say what I would do and I know why they do it, I think, but here's a situation that occurs that someone's family's murdered, someone someone's young daughter is taken out, raped, and murdered, and now then they talk to the family and they say, Well, I've forgiven this person in my heart. Well, what does that mean? Well that means that person probably doesn't want to carry around the the absolute Anger that they have and resentment, and so they're trying to get rid of that to say that they forgive them. Um, do they think that that person should be put on trial and p- punished well, for the that? Real,
1: the real problem is: should that person be released back into society? And, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And, do they and, think and,
0: that just because you say just because you say you've forgiven them, we should just release this person back into society? Well, I don't think it. You know, well, right, and even when that person then. Even if they repent, over a long period of time, there's still going to be that problem. That doesn't mean you have to treat them poorly and carry bitterness around with you all those years. And I think that's what you see a lot of the times, that people – I have no problem with the family members, by the way, who say, well, I hope the criminal justice system executes this person. I have no problem with that. That's what what is right. Can they – Laura, I've told you this story before, perhaps, but I, I remember one time years ago, I, I was working with a fellow who was incarcerated in a mental hospital under charges of murder, and uh, so we studied the Bible together, and I tried to assure him from the beginning, you know, I, I'm not here to go before a court and say they should not try you for this murder if you killed. He admitted to me that he killed this person, this girl, his girlfriend told me how he did it. He said he was intoxicated. When he's not drinking, he's fine. So okay, that's all fine, well, and good. I said, but I'm not here teaching you the gospel so that you can get set free. I said, if that happens, thank, thanks. good Thanks to God for that. If it doesn't happen, then you need to pay the price that the state demands. And he was good with that. He was good with accepting the consequences of his actions, but he was more concerned about being right with God, which I took that as an actual sign of repentance an actual sign or or a statement of him uh, understanding what he had done and so but he did change he did make an improvement in his life and eventually he was released it's a long story uh, but that's the that's the problem you get in feeling sympathy for people when they've done wrong would not help I, I didn't I don't know maybe the man, if the man needed to be locked up for the rest of his life as a as a means of protecting others then he can still serve God in prison and he can go to heaven. If he can change and society deems he's changed then so be it let him let him go. You know. Uh-huh. Yes. Oh yeah. And I have a feeling if I've read this, if I read the story correctly, I I I don't think he wants to be released because he knows he's dangerous or could be dangerous, you know. So, right. So there's repentance and there's forgiveness and then there's restitution, retribution, all these words They all kind of relate to one another, and I think that because our society is so concerned, first of all, with our own personal feelings, we get this subject confused because we confuse my feeling about it with the actual condition. Just because I forgive a person for doing a wrong thing, like killing a family member, has no bearing upon God's judgment about that person or that thing. We somehow have confused their or the reality of the situation. We may forgive them, but they're still guilty of the sin that they committed. All we're saying is, I don't want to carry around the bad feelings myself, so it's kind of a self-protection. That's a good idea sometimes. Some things are so horrific, they're so damaging to you, that all you can do is just walk away from it. But that's not always the best solution because what we really should seek is a restoration of a relationship and not only between you and the person, between that person and God. Christians should seek to restore that. That takes true forgiveness, true repentance, and so forth. That's what that takes. That's much harder to do. Much easier to appear to be religious and pat them on the head and say, you know, I forgive you and go on about our business. Uh,
1: well, we lose sight in all of these feelings and all of this sympathy and, and things that we want to have that are natural and in many cases good, but we do have the problem that God says you need to remove the evil from among you. No.
0: You know what my problem personally is, uh, Gary and uh, Laura, uh, you're still there, but someone uh, sometimes things have happened to me that uh, a couple of people in my life have, have done me wrong. I, I know that sounds terrible to say, but they have. They, they've wronged me unjustly, and they've never made any attempt whatsoever, even under appeal to change, to correct that. And so I just have to let that go, and I think I generally have let that go. But if, if people ask me about it, and I begin to talk about it, and we begin to explore, well, what about this, what about that, and they want to hear the story, the... <laughs> pardon me, those original feelings come right back because no change has ever really been made. It's just been my decision not to dwell on it and to hate them, but just to go on and hope for the best, hope they repent, and but nothing ever really changed, and I think that's why it's so easy for my feelings to come back. I'm not proud of that whatever you don't do, get me it's, wrong.
1: it's a temporary situation but yeah. but
0: I, I think you do have to just sometimes push it away and let it go, but I think it's easier to to deal with in the long run if there's been some attempt to make it right. Man turns to a family in a courtroom in the courtroom and says, "Forgive me, I was wrong I, I, and, and is so sorrow for the actions, even though he can't change it. There's a better chance in the long run that that family is going to deal with that properly emotionally and other psychologically in the long run than if the, if the uh, convicted man turns and flips them off and walks out laughing. Much better chance that they're going to deal with it properly. So those things do matter. But now, does that change forgiveness or repentance? No, it doesn't change that. It just makes things smoother. Well, our, uh, do you have anything more to say about this, Laura? Anything else you want to talk about? Right, and we're, we're all trying to figure out not only what it says, but how in the world can we honestly apply it to ourselves and, and live it. That's the part that demands your attention for your whole life, the rest of your life, isn't it? How how does that? What does that mean? I should be doing now? You know, that's the question for me all the time. So, and uh, God God keeps me, he he's never satisfied with what I do for some reason. <laughs> I can see more. I can see he's demanding more of me. Every time I read this passage on forgiveness here in Matthew 18, studying it, I, like, he's still demanding more of me than I even thought. So, yeah, that's the position I get in.
1: It's not a good idea to go look and see what God has demanded of <laughs> others in Scripture because it can get to be pretty rough.
0: Yeah. Well, I appreciate, Laura, your call. I thank you very much. Call back any time. And also, Jerry, we appreciate I don't know if we got to all of his subjects. I guess he was he did ask about, and I wrote two, just wrote two words down, forgiveness homosexual. I didn't get a chance to write the whole thing down. But I think he was asking, what about God forgiving homosexuals? Well, homosexuality may be, it may be a very, it's a very serious sin because it involves really an alteration of God's natural order in a way that other sins do not. On the other hand, it's the same as other sins. It doesn't make someone a worse sinner because they're homosexual any more than that they have an affair or whatever the case may be. It's a different type of sin that sometimes goes deeper into the psyche than some of the other things we can do. But is God willing to forgive that sin? Yes, on the same basis, He forgives all sins. Not on the, not on the basis that we feel sorry for people that are gay, or that, that we like them Or not like them God's forgiveness is does matter Well I like this person Somehow we get this confused I like them They're, they're nice They make cute movies Or they, they dress flamboyantly So we like them and, and so we think God should forgive them Because we like them Or if we don't like them They look mean to us Or the homosexuals look uh, They're, they're, they're uh, violent or nasty We don't like them So God shouldn't forgive them that has nothing to do with it. Our feelings about them one way or the other have nothing to do with whether what they've done is a sin or what they ought to do to repent of that sin. So they can be forgiven just like everybody else could be forgiven when they acknowledge their sin before God and repent of it and turn to Christ for, for forgiveness. They can be forgiven. We are, we are. He says so very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He mentions the sin of homosexuality, and he says... And such were some of you,
1: were. The key but you've been washed,
0: cleansed. You were this. In other words, he even isn't even saying that it's, a, it's not a permanent... That's the problem that I have with the whole concept. Words mean things, and the concept is that when you say you're a homosexual, that means that that's your nature, that you can't be altered. Like saying, well, that's a tiger. You can't turn a tiger into a giraffe. Well... He's not using the words that way in the New Testament. He's saying these people were homosexuals, but they've changed. They've been cleansed. They've been washed. And he says you can't keep acting like that. You can't go back and act like you did before. So he ties the homosexuality not only to the heart, but also to the actions. Those are things that can be be altered or changed. Now, one of the dangerous things that's going on in our culture at this very time is that gay rights activists... and and the latest version of this are trans activists, have passed laws in both the United States and Canada to make trying to change someone's homosexual behavior illegal. In Canada, it's illegal for me to talk as a preacher to a person to tell a gay person that you, you should stop being gay. You should stop acting in this homosexual manner. I'm not allowed to do that in Canada anymore. That's conversion therapy.
1: Or California. Or
0: California. It's conversion therapy. It is against the law for me as a gospel preacher to, to teach people to stop being homosexual in their actions. So this is a very dangerous thing. It's not just a matter of whether I like homosexuals, whether I don't. Whether I like it or not doesn't make it a sin one way or the other is what God says about it. And whether you like it or whether you enjoy practicing it doesn't change the matter. God says these things both. Uh, he condemns the, the uh, male, in, homosexual relationships have male and female sides. He condemns the male side of it and the female side of it. The Greeks only seem to condemn the female side. They held it to be dishonorable to be on the receiving end of sodomy. They didn't say that they didn't think that the male end, the Sodomizer, was that disrespectful. That was the Greek and more Roman position. G- Jesus, in the gospel uh, in the Bible, condemns both sides of it, and he condemns women who practice uh, homosexuality. So all three areas of it are now. You say, well, what about transgender? Well, transgenderism is just homosexuality with a blanket over it with makeup on it's just homosexuality with makeup and wigs on it it's still that a whole uh, well gary's smiling but is that it's not different Uh, here's a young man who who wants to become a woman well what it means is he wants to have sex with a man and he does have sex with a man you see And so, therefore, he's practicing homosexuality, whether he's got a dress on or whether he's got makeup on or not. He's practicing homosexuality.
1: I just keep coming back to Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with the hardness of your impertinent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath. And revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds, eternal life to those who, by patient continuance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath.
0: Yes, we. And it we, all.
1: It, uh, it comes back to what are you willing to do?
0: Right. Our time is gone today. We're certainly thankful for your listening, those who called in. Uh, we appreciate that. Take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. Come and see us, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. May God bless you until next week. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie on WPSL. Port St. Lucie.